This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Amen, amen. Church, I want to invite you to grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there's black Bibles there in the chairs. And those are a gift to anybody that needs a Bible. So just enjoy that. Take it home with you. Um, that's the version that I preach through, uh, the English Standard Version. And so if you're like, yeah, I want to be able to track with what the preacher's preaching on, feel free to take that with you and enjoy that Bible. Luke, Luke chapter 18. You guys okay back there? All right. Uh, Luke chapter 18. Um, Pastor KVJ, thank you so much for sharing, brother. And um, I think you guys got the sense that I got this morning that he could have shared for hours stories about what God is doing and the vision that God's entrusted to him. And uh, so we pray for you and we're thankful for the connection of Lex and Shelley Reed uh, as your advocate. And so we look forward to, uh, to partnering with you as a church. But thank you for being here to share just a little snapshot of what God is doing. And thank you for enduring the persecution that you and your family have endured. And uh, we have much to learn from the church in India, and uh, we're very thankful for the way you're following Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 18, church, when you find your way to Luke chapter 18, would you just hold up your Bible, let me know you're there, let me know you're eager, you're expecting to hear from the Lord this morning, awesome. Um, When I was a kid, one of my favorite parts of church um, was that moment where the plate was passed because... um, (laughs) I had this experience where my parents would give me a dollar every Sunday. They would give me a dollar. And I didn't work for this dollar. I didn't earn this dollar. You know, I I probably could have been working a little harder at home for the dollar. But the dollar was given to me, and then I got to give the dollar. Now, that's a pretty good gig, isn't it? You know, so like you receive, and then you get to give. Um, And so sure enough, the dollar was like in a little envelope like this, like we have, you know, when you come in, you get your worship program, you get a little envelope and every Sunday, you know, from the youngest age I could remember, I would stick a dollar in it and we would, in old school, we'd pass the plate and the plate would come around. It was like my favorite moment. Like here comes the plate. And I got to participate. Did anybody grow up in church? Did you do this? Um, Here comes a plate and I would, I would get to drop it in the plate and I had no idea the significance of what God was doing and shaping in my heart as a kid. But, but there was this shaping, there was this expectation, there was this molding, there was this thing going on in me every Sunday as I'm dropping that in the plate where, and I didn't realize it, but there was a powerful expectation and experience that I was experiencing as a kid that shaped me as an adult for years and years to come. And, and what it was is, as it was coming by, it was like, it's exciting to give. It's, it's fun to give. I, I ought to give. Like, it's better to give than to receive. You know? like, so as a very young child, this was being like, molded and shaped in, into, my, into my mind. And, um, and so just a couple of weeks ago, I began to think about our kids and real-life kids. And uh, I began to ask our team, do we have a moment where the kids get to give? And, and they said, well, I don't know. In, in kids, we don't have that moment. And I thought, oh my goodness, like how are we missing that? This is, this is like the most formative time for the kids to, to be shaped, to understand what does it mean to, to grow in generosity? What does it mean to be like God in, in being a generous person? So for all of you that are parents, we just want to let you guys know this is happening uh, in real life kids in the next couple of weeks. 
um, they're, they're going to have like a little giving box, a little giving box set up, just like we have in here. And they're going to have this great moment. They're going to have this great moment um, where they get to, they get to give. And, um, and the way we're going to do it in the first week is we're actually going to give, we're actually going to give the kids, uh, you know, some, some money and then let them give a portion of it in it just to teach them, just to train them. Um, but I want to let you, you parents know, um, this is a great habit in training the next generation of sending your kid with a dollar every Sunday so that they can grow so that, so, so that when they grow up and God puts something really significant in front of their life. It's already built into their hearts and minds of, yeah, this is, of course this is what we do. Is we fuel the work of God through our generosity. And, uh, you know, in our, in our text this morning in Luke 18, um, we see this encounter where uh, this very, very rich man had questions for Jesus about eternal life. And he was asking these questions and Jesus had some questions for him. I'm titling the sermon this morning, Questions, 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 because I'm, I'm going to unpack a few questions as we look at this text briefly together. But Luke chapter 18, picking up in verse 18, and just look at how this unfolds. Because there's some real lessons for us to learn this morning. Look at this with me. Luke chapter 18, if you're just jumping in with us this morning, um, we're just preaching through the book of Luke paragraph by paragraph. And uh, exciting to see how God's word unfolds week by week. So look at Luke 18, verse 18 with me. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let me just pause there. Maybe some of you here this morning, maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're just trying this thing out. Maybe you've just been back into church after 30 years of being out. And the question on your mind is, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good, it's a good question. So this is a question the ruler asked Jesus. Look at verse 19. Um, Jesus responds with a question. He says, and and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then, how, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Would you pray with me? And just right with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you just say to your God, God, would you speak to me today? 
Lord, we pray by your Spirit, through your Word, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just have three questions that I want us to unpack out of this text. And the first one is just simply this. Who did this rich ruler think Jesus was? Who did this rich ruler think Jesus was? Look at his question. Look back at verse 18 and see his question. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not altogether clear who the rich ruler thought Jesus was was it's not it's not super like absolutely oh yeah but there seems to be some indication that he thought that he was a wise rabbi that he thought that he was a wise teacher he thought it was he was someone good that he could gain some spiritual advice some spiritual counsel so he addresses him as good teacher now he could have addressed him as lord right (laughs) messiah my savior my king but he addressed him as as good teacher and so if jesus is just a good teacher then jesus's counsel and jesus's advice is optional but if jesus is king his advice is not optional his counsel his teaching is not optional and it seems that this ruler wasn't quite sure who jesus was that he was a wise teacher that he was a a rabbi somebody that he could have asked about eternal life hey tell me what do the sacred scriptures say about how can i inherit eternal life in jesus it's (laughs) i love jesus's response jesus asks a question and i love his question back he says why do you call me good it's almost it's almost like jesus is just kind of trying to pull him along it's it's almost like like you know when you discover something on your own, you learn it better than if somebody just tells it to you? It's almost like Jesus is just wanting him to discover it on his own. So he says, why do you, why do you call me good? Only God alone is good. So, so it's almost like he's wanting to, he's wanting to get the rich, rich ruler here to think. Like, why did you call me good? Is there something you see in me that's captured your attention? Is there something different about me than all these other rabbis? You called me good and only God alone is good. So it's it's almost like he's saying, do you think that I might be God? And what we think about Jesus matters. And it matters what we think about his words. So who did Jesus, who did the rich ruler think Jesus was? Maybe more importantly for us this morning is who do we think Jesus is? That's, that's really the biggest question in our life, isn't it? Who do we think that Jesus is? We're entering into the Easter season, and in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating the, the reality that Jesus died on a cross and that he rose from the dead. And listen, there, are, there is hardly a secular scholar out there that would not say Jesus was a, a literal historical figure that actually died on a cross. It's hard to find even an unbelieving secular scholar that would not say Jesus was a literal historical figure and he died on a cross. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he he just a good teacher who teaches morality for you to follow? Or is Jesus different? Is Jesus God? Is he the son of God? Is he he king? Is Is he your king? And if Jesus is your king, then his teaching is not optional. The second question that just is kind of screaming at us in this text is, why did the rich ruler become so very sad? 
Why did he become so very sad? Look at verse 20 with me. Jesus is answering him now, and he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all of these I've kept from my youth. Now, this is like the crazy moment in this text, right? Jesus is just laying out the Ten Commandments, and the rich ruler's like, oh yeah, I've done all of those since my youth. And it's like, really? <laughs> you honored your father and your mother every single time? Like, you never... You never broke that commandment. You never told a lie to anyone about it, really. But Jesus just goes with it. He just goes with it. And he's like, okay, all right, you've obeyed all the Ten Commandments. So let me just, Jesus, knowing what was ruling this man's heart, shoots straight in with a, with a little teaching here. And look at, look at what he says, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Essentially what Jesus was saying, listen, essentially what Jesus was saying is this man was interested in eternal life. He was interested in eternal life. And he was asking questions about eternal life. But what Jesus did is he exposed what this man's God was. He exposed what this man's idol was. With this question, with this teaching rather, he exposes what his idol is. And his idol was his wealth. And, and the man grew very sad because Jesus' response was saying, you cannot have your idol and eternal life. You can't have your false God and eternal life that's what Jesus was saying is, is you can't have this thing you want to treasure you can't have this thing that you want to love more than anything you can't have this thing that you're depending upon and eternal life in other words you must love Jesus you must depend upon Jesus he must be God and he was exposing that this man's money was his God what's here's what's interesting is this man, he, he responded not by saying, okay, I'm going to sell everything. I want eternal life so bad. I'm so desperate for eternal life. I'm going to do exactly what you said, Jesus. I'm going to sell it all and follow you. But instead he was sad. So don't miss this because this is probably the most powerful, the most powerful thing. He was sad. So he wasn't turning to and trusting in Jesus. He wasn't letting go of his idol, his wealth, and turning in and, and taking hold of a new God, Jesus. But he was hanging on to his idol, his wealth, he was very rich, and he, he hung on to it, and what was the result of him hanging on to his idol? Sad. He was sad. The man's idol did not have the power to satisfy his heart. The man's idol, his wealth, only led to sadness. You see, this story could have been turned a different way. This man could have not trusted in Jesus. He could have not. He could have hung on to his idol, his wealth. And, the, and Luke could have said, and he went away joyful. <laughs> But he didn't go away joyful. He didn't go away happy. He was sad. 
Why? Because his idol was not sufficient to satisfy him. Friends, this is a message for us today. Because many of us, we trust in our money. We make it an idol. Many of us, we trust in our family. We make it an idol. Many of us, we trust in our job. We make it an idol. Some of us, we're trusting in our popularity and in our reputation, and we make it an idol. But none of these things can satisfy us. And so the more tightly we cling to these things, and the more tightly we squeeze these things, and the more tightly we depend upon these things, the more sad our soul is going to be. You think, if I could just get more. If it could just be bigger, if it could just be better, if I could just rise up and be promoted, if it would just be, it's just more sadness. It's just more sadness. And so you're like, okay, this is just a bad idol. Let me trade it in for another idol. Listen, there is no God other than Jesus that will satisfy our soul. That's the whole point of this text. That's, the whole, that's why Jesus is asking these questions. <laughs> why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. There's only one that's good, and it's God alone, and I'm God. I'm God. This man, the scripture says that he was very sad. He was very rich, and he was very sad. Listen, teenagers, would you just look up at me and dial in right here? Listen, the world is trying to teach you that if you've got all the things that are desirable in this world, you'll be happy, and it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's an absolute lie. Listen, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll read about this man named Solomon. And you read in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, and it said Solomon, listen to this, Solomon had more than anybody before him in Israel. He had it all. He was the wealthiest man in town. And when you read through chapter 2, it said, I hated life. I hated life. So some of you are like, well, if I could just get a little more, if I could just get a little, I don't need what Solomon had. I just need a little more, little, a little more It's not going to make you happy. There's a lie behind that saying a little more will make you happy. A little more won't make you happy. A lot more won't make you happy. Solomon had it all and he hated life. And here's this rich young ruler. And Jesus said, sell it all. And in his heart, he said, I'm not going to sell it all. I'm going to hang on to it. But he wasn't happy hanging on to it. He was sad. So listen, dear friends, listen. There's, there's nothing attractive to a world that's hopeless when the, when the church is just always sad. <laughs> People are drawn to Jesus when they see that the church is joyful. In, in the first sermon series of this year, we, I, I just threw out the idea of, wouldn't it be amazing if we became the most joyful church in the region? Isn't that a great vision to pray for? Lord, Lord help us here. But if we begin to trust in and depend upon and cling to false idols, functional saviors, other functional saviors other than the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? That means when we turn to anything else other than Jesus and we try to find peace and hope and joy in that thing, we make it a functional savior. The Bible calls it an idol. The, the Old Testament will be really clear that it's idolatry. That's what it is, is when we take something good or take something sinful that's not God, and we make it God, we're committing idolatry. When we do that, listen, the fruit in our life will always ultimately be, at the end of the day, sadness, not joy. There might be some temporary little glitz, but it will fade quickly, and it will sour, and it will never satisfy. But if we turn to Jesus, and we make him our God, and we trust in him, and we depend upon him, and we cling to him, joy will rise. And our life might be falling apart, and we might not be getting the promotion, 
And the kids might not be getting the scholarship, and we might not be really popular, but joy will rise. And when that happens, and when the world sees difficult circumstances, but joy rising, that becomes very attractive. It's, you know, it's, we've, we've got our fancy strategies in North America, but when pastors like KVJ come and share that their, their strategy is prayer and fasting, and we're like, what, you don't have a seven-minute party after church? <laughs> you know, like, you don't give away a real fancy mug, you know? Like, no, we just pray and fast. And then they're persecuted, and, that, and yet the joy of the Lord sustains and strengthens them as they're persecuted. That's why in places in India, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Because the joy of the Lord is their strength. Let me just ask another question. Why is it difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven? That's what Jesus said. Look at verse 24. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Immediately, some of us are looking around the room going, okay, all right, how do I rank up with everybody here? (laughs) You know, Lord, please let me be like one of the poorer ones in the room, you know. And the reality is, is if we have clean drinking water and if we have a high school education, we're within the smallest percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. So it doesn't really matter how you rank in this room when you compare yourselves globally, we're all wealthy. We're all really, really wealthy. So it's hard for us, you and me, according to Jesus, to enter the kingdom of God of heaven. Why does he say this? Verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says this real curious thing in verse 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So growing up when I would hear that, I thought, well, that's impossible. Like eye of a needle, like a little needle, a little threading needle, tiny, you know, camel, like a camel can't go through that, right? But then, but then you've got this other statement right after this, you know, verse 26, then those who heard this said, then who can be saved? That's what I'm saying when it's like it came through the eye of a needle. That's not happening. Um, and then verse 27, his response is, but, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And I thought, okay, all right. So somehow that camel's getting through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. But years ago, I learned that this is, this is what an eye of a needle looks like. You see that little gap there? That's, that was called like the needle, the gate needle into the chambers here. And so the idea of this teaching is not an eye of a needle, a threading needle, but it's this, a, a camel getting through here. Not impossible, but pretty difficult, you know? You ever seen a camel, like, try to get down? You know, it's like awkward, right? It's just like, oh, I'm glad I'm not a camel right now, you know? It's like his knees, you know? And, um, here's another picture of another, there it is. It's the camel going through there. It's possible, it's just difficult, right? It's possible. Difficult. It's difficult for us. It's difficult for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why, why, why is that? Why, why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons why. Um, in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said that the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. What does that mean? This is what it means. It means you open up your Bible Monday morning and you're reading it, but your mind is preoccupied with issues of finance. And your mind is preoccupied with issues of finance because money has promised something that it cannot provide. 
Money has provided, money has promised a security. Money has promised a a peace. Money has promised a strength. Money, Money speaks to us. It makes promises that it can't deliver on. And so we get preoccupied by it because we kind of suspect that. Money's promising, but it can't provide. So we kind of know that. And so then we get anxious, and then we get worried, and then we get preoccupied. And then the deceitfulness of riches, it lies to us. I'm going I'm to provide something. The deceitfulness of it, it chokes out the Word of God. So we read the Bible, but the Bible's unfruitful in our life and heart because our mind is preoccupied in other areas. How does this happen? It happens like the preacher stands up and he opens the Bible and he starts preaching, but you leave unchanged and unmoved in your heart in the same condition because your mind is preoccupied upon the things of wealth and money. And, and what happens is, is when your mind is preoccupied on these things, it chokes out the fruitfulness of the Word. That's why Jesus in Mark 4 said, the deceitfulness of riches comes in and it chokes it out. So listen, listen, friends, it's, you're not necessarily going to grow spiritually if you come to church every Sunday. You're not necessarily going to grow spiritually if you open up God's Word. You're not necessarily going to grow spiritually if you memorize God's Word. You're not necessarily going to grow spiritually if you read God's Word every day. Why? Because the deceitfulness of riches can, can creep in and choke it out every single time. If you let it. By believing its lie or making it your idol. And what's the fruit of making it your idol? Sad. Just be sad. Church, I don't want you to be sad. And the Lord Jesus doesn't want you to be sad. He wants you to have joy. And joy only comes in one place. Um, 1 Timothy, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, this is what he says. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So why does Jesus say it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's because when we love money, it multiplies into other evils. In other words, like in other words, you can't make money your idol and it be your only idol. When you make money your idol, it births other, other idols. When you worship money, you begin to worship all kinds of other things. You begin to give your affection, you begin to depend upon, you begin to trust in and all kinds of all kinds of other other things and in it's listen, the allure of wealth as a functional savior to give you hope and peace. The allure of wealth is so powerful that Paul told Timothy that some have wandered away from the faith altogether. Have you ever had a friend that grew up in church and you feel like, well, where did they go? Maybe you had somebody in your community group and they started off really passionate, but you haven't seen them in months. Like, where did they go? Well, I'm not saying that this is exactly what's happened to everybody that's wandered away. But it may have been what happened to some that wandered away. The, the chief work, listen, the chief work of Satan himself who wants to, to destroy each one of our lives is deception. He's a liar. He can't be trusted, not even a little bit. He wants to destroy our life, and the chief way that he seeks to destroy our life is through deception. So listen, church, can I just tell you, like, I want every single one of you to get a promotion. I want every single one of you to get a raise. I want every single one of you, like, when you go... I just want you to flourish financially. Every, I want every single one of you to. 
But I don't want a single one of you to make money your idol. And I don't want you to believe it's promised that it can provide hope and joy and security. But I want you to be blessed. And then I want your hearts to be turned toward generosity and just fuel and fund all kinds of ministries and bless your neighbor and you know, love your kids and all the great things that we can do with money. It's just really dangerous. And we just got to be really careful. We got to be really aware. And listen, if you think, you know what? This is not a temptation for me. Listen to what the scripture says. If any man, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if any man thinks he stand, let him take heed lest he fall. So the very moment that you think, not a temptation for me, that's the moment that the devil creeps in and makes it a temptation for you, sometimes without you even realizing. Early on in my, in my relationship with Jesus, there were all these sins that I thought, I'll never commit that, I'll never commit that, I'll never commit that. Have you ever heard pride comes before a fall? <laughs> I, I'll never, I'm never, I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to get close to that. No way, no way. And then here, 20 years later, I'm like, I did that, and I did that, and I did that. If you think you stand, take heed. Take heed, be careful, be alert, be on guard, lest you fall. So why is Jesus teaching these things? Well, it's because he loves us. <laughs> it's because he loves us, and he doesn't want us to be deceived, and he wants us to inherit eternal life. He wants us to have eternal life. Listen, Jesus wants you and me to have eternal life so bad that he died for us. Jesus so wants us to live eternally with him in heaven with no more disease and no more pain and no more. He wants it so bad that he went to the cross for us. He wants that. He's just teaching us that if we're going to have him as our God and not be deceived and chase these other idols, we've got to be careful. So he says these things. The, the thing is, is this rich ruler was really, really interested in eternal life but he was not desperate for it so at church i just want to say don't be interested in eternal life today be desperate for it he was interested in it so he said teacher how can i how can i inherit eternal life and jesus has this you know conversation with him and then and then his conclusion is he's just really sad and if he was desperate for eternal life he wouldn't have gotten sad he would have said no jesus you got to tell me how now, Jesus, I just, there's a war inside of me, Jesus, and I, 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 I love my wealth so much. I've worked so hard for it, or my dad passed it on to me, or I just love it. Jesus, you got to help me. It's got, it's got such a grip on me, Jesus. you got to help me, Jesus. He wasn't desperate for eternal life. He was interested in it, but he wasn't desperate for it. He was just like, okay, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to give it to the poor. Okay, I'm sad. You see that? You see the difference between being interested in eternal life? and So what's the big idea this morning? It's just one sentence. It's really simple. Worship Jesus, not wealth, and the rewards will be worth it. Worship Jesus, not wealth, and the rewards will be worth it. Look at, uh, look at what Peter says. Good old Peter speaking up, you know. He just can't keep his mouth shut, could he? I relate. I relate to Peter. Look at verse, look at verse 28. And, and Peter said, See? We've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus is like, who was talking about your homes, Peter? You know? Peter, who's talking about your homes? You know, like I'm talking to this man. Like I'm, I'm having a conversation with this man, Peter, and you just got to stick your big toe in, you know? Like, like Jesus could have responded to Peter in that way, but he responded so graciously, didn't he? He responded so graciously. You know, it, it, it's almost like Jesus, Peter's saying, 
Jesus, we've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus could have said, well, so it, it's, it's all about what's in it for you, right, Peter? They could have responded that way. It's just all, all about what you're going to get out of it, Peter. That's not how Jesus responds. He responds so graciously with a promise. Listen to this. Look at, look at it with me in the scriptures. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. Verse 29, and he said to them, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house, which could be an idol, or wife, which could be an idol, or brothers or parents or children, which could be our idol. There's no one that's left those things for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Do you hear how Jesus responds to Peter? Jesus isn't like, Peter, you're just all about what's in it for you. No, he's like, Peter, yes, that's it. Peter, you let go of your treasure for the sake of the kingdom of God, your homes and your family, those things that you treasured most. Peter, you made me your allegiance. And there's no one that's giving up these things that will not receive many times as much in this life and in the life to come. Now, I don't know altogether what Jesus meant, like of what you'll receive in this life, but I've got a hunch that when people leave their hometown and they leave their family to go on mission with Jesus, that somehow that Jesus is going to supply more brothers and sisters and spiritual moms and dads in that place to supply what they left. So they're going to receive many times as much. Uh, the family of God, they're going to receive that now. They're going to receive it now. And, and, and nobody's going to give up a, a house that the Lord's not going to provide for them when they go on mission for the kingdom of God. The Lord's not going to provide for them many times as much now. So the Lord sees the sacrifices we make and he'll reward us now for the sacrifices we make. I don't know altogether how he's going to do that. And we might like to imagine and we might like to fill in the blank, you know, of how he's going to do that. But we can trust him on however he's going to do that. He'll reward us now and in the life to come. Jesus said, if it were not so, would I not have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? That where I am, you may be also. It's a house being repaired, a mansion being prepared for us. Listen, when we get to heaven, friends, we'll look back on our time on this earth and we'll think it was so short. It was such a short stewardship. But what we do with this short stewardship now will echo and reverberate throughout eternity, age upon age, without end. Um, so let's worship Jesus, not wealth. And the rewards will be worth it. It'll be worth it. Our worship team is going to come and help us close out. But I just want to close with this question of, how do I know? How do I know if I'm worshiping Jesus and not wealth? That's a good question, isn't it? How do I know if Jesus is my Lord and not wealth? How do I know if I'm depending upon Jesus and not my wealth? How do I know if I'm trusting in Jesus and not my money? How do I know? That's a good question. Can you gladly part with it? Could you gladly part with your home? Could you gladly part with your children? 
could you gladly part with your money? You see, Jesus' teaching, listen, Jesus' teaching here is a customized message for this one man. Jesus is not unpacking what each of us must do to inherit eternal life. Some of you are like, oh, thank God. Because this tension was growing in my heart, this whole message of, like, it's the closing takeaway this morning. i got to go sell it all and give it to the poor if I'm going to go to heaven. Listen, Jesus knew what this man's idol was, and he just said, you can't worship that and have eternal life. You have to worship me. So I don't know what your idol is today, but the Lord knows, and you probably know. And if you don't know, you can pray Psalm 139 that says, Search my heart, O Lord, and see if there be any evil way in me. When I was in seminary, a pastor would used to use this phrase, and I found it so helpful. In his prayers, he would say, Lord, as honestly as I know, we're loving you. Lord, as honestly as I know, I'm, we're worshiping you. And maybe that's what you need to pray this morning. Lord, as honestly as I know. In other words, Lord, I'm not aware of idols that are in my heart and life right now. Here's the good news is that if you've chosen Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, if you've turned to him and trusted in him, that even though, listen, even though you may battle from time to time of making things your idol, if you have set your face with resolve that the Lord Jesus is the only one worthy of your worship, he is your God. And so the whole Christian life is now, it's just loosening our grip on all these other little mini gods. But friends, don't turn back today. Trust in Jesus. Make him your God. Don't turn back to these idols because they'll just leave you sad. They'll just leave you sad. We're going to sing and I just want to invite you. The prayer station's open and there's people back there that love you and the altar's open here. And Just make this a time of ministry. If the Lord is stirring in your heart and speaking to you and you need to put your arm around your spouse and pray if you need to lift your hands in joyful celebration that the lord jesus has freed you from your idols all across this room we've got testimonies like that don't we i used to be worshiping other gods i used to be putting my hope in in all these material things that used to be what i've been worried. but the lord set me free it was hard but with God, all things are possible. That's what Jesus said, right? With God, all things are possible. So here's the good news, friends. Listen, you may have been worshiping other idols your whole life, and you may feel like your heart is gripped on them like this, but Jesus said in this text, with God, all things are possible. And you may be feeling like, I don't know how to let go of this. With God, all things are possible. I don't know how to not put my affection upon this. With God, all things are possible. I feel like I can do it in the moment, but tomorrow morning's going to be hard. With God, all things are possible. I've tried to let go of this idol before, but it's just got such a strong grip on me, I just don't know if I can do it. With God, all things are possible. So it's not about our strength. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our resolve. It's about the power of God through His Spirit working in us. So just say yes to His Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Blow like the wind, burn in me like a fire, refresh my spirit like a river. Come, Holy Spirit, do what I can't do. Break me of my idol this morning. Maybe your prayer this morning is, yeah, I've got idols in my life, and I'm not really that disappointed about it. Lord, break my heart. Maybe you've got idols in your heart, and you would say, yeah, I've got idols in my heart, but I'm kind of apathetic to it. Just speak out to God your apathy and say, God, 
I'm not even sorry for my apathy, but I ought to be. The Lord will hear, hear that prayer. If you say that to him today, Lord, I ought to be sorry, but I'm not even sorry. Lord, would you just make me sorry today? Break me, Lord. He loves hearing that kind of prayer, that kind of honesty. Just keep it real with the Lord today, church. Just keep it real. You come to him wherever you are with honesty, whatever's in your heart. You just be vulnerable with the Lord and the Spirit of God will step right in. And you'll experience his unfailing love. Amen. Anybody just want to say, yes, he's delivered me. Yes, he's delivered me. Yes, he set me free. Anybody just want to shout and say, he set me free, he'll set you free, church? Anybody want to just give a testimony this morning to say it's possible? Raise your hand. Don't give me one of these. Give me one of these right here. Look around. Somebody's here this morning and said, yeah, I used to worship other gods, but the Lord Jesus has set me free. Anybody here this morning? Come on. Father, we pray for your mercy to be great, your spirit to be powerful. We just confess we're so weak and we're so foolish and we're so easily deceived. But we thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you that he's at your right hand. We thank you that he rose from the dead to set us free from our idols. So, oh God, would you show us the truth? Would you show us what's real? Oh God, would you set us free from our addictions and from our idols? And Lord, let us see the deceitfulness of riches. And Lord, let us love you today more than we love anything else in this world. Would you do it? Lord, would you do it? For our joy, would you do it for our community so that we might be a shining light for this community, that we wouldn't be a sad, pathetic church, but we'd be a joyful, on-fire, powerful church because we've set our hope in you, Lord Jesus. Make it true for the sake of our, our, our community, Lord. And for the glory of your name, O oh Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord, for worshiping other gods, for having so many idols. But thank you, Spirit of God, that you're setting us free this morning. We say yes, Lord, and all God's people said, let's stand, let's sing out, church. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real, keep it Jesus.